It is wonderful to be here this morning. If you are new, then a really special welcome to you. My name is Ben, as Lee said, and I'm the vicar here at St. Thomas's. Now, today we are starting a new sermon series, a new teaching series called Chosen. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be going through the book of 1 Peter together. We're going to be looking at a chapter each week, and I'll explain a little bit more about it as we go through. But if you could turn this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1, that would be fantastic. And I'm going to read this to us. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the knowledge, the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may, have heard, um, you may have had to suffer in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which, perishes, which perishes even through even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who, came of, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy as I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere 
love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. So as I said, today we are starting a new sermon series called Chosen, and we're going to look at several things over the next five weeks together. We're going to look at how we're chosen for holiness this week, chosen for Jesus, chosen for good, chosen for love, and chosen for glory. This book, 1 Peter, was a book that was written to some of the very first New Testament churches, and it was written to be passed around particularly around the places that were listed at the start of our reading this morning. And Peter was writing to the Christians because they didn't have the easiest of times. They were suffering, they were mocked, they were ridiculed, they were persecuted, they were beaten, they were laughed at. They were seen by some as a completely irrelevant cult on the edge of society. Perhaps that sounds familiar to you today. All over the world, I was reading a news article just this morning about Christians in a different part of the world, it was Nigeria, who on Pentecost Sunday were attacked as they were worshipping, 12 people were killed. In that nation, it's relatively routine for Christians to be mocked and persecuted in certain parts of that country. That is true all over the world. And yet we know, don't we, and this is one of the messages in 1 Peter, that God has the victory. Lee and I were at a meeting the other day with some other um, church leaders from across the region. And there was a speaker from the Evangelical Alliance at this meeting. And he was saying that people often ask him, what does it feel like to be part of an institution and part of a church that's completely dying? And he said, what are you talking about? More people gave their life to Jesus yesterday than at any other day since Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And more people will give their life to Jesus today than they did yesterday. The church is growing and it's expanding and it's planting new churches and more and more people are becoming Christians all of the time. It may not look like that over here in the UK at the moment, but globally the church is thriving and it is making a huge difference. Particularly in places where Christians are suffering, mocked, persecuted, beaten and killed. Now why is that? It's not necessarily because of the Christians, but it's because we're chosen by a God who has the victory. Now today we're looking at how we as God's people are chosen for holiness. If you look at verse 16 with me, this is the key verse for us today. For it is written, be holy as I am holy. Now I don't know about you, But when I hear that, be holy as I am am holy, my immediate thought is how on earth can I be holy like God? Surely that is a completely insurmountable, impossible thing to become. God is so different to us. He's completely perfect. How on earth can I be holy as God 
is holy. Perhaps when you think of a holy person, you think of somebody who's completely and totally morally upright, someone who keeps all of the rules. Holiness seems completely mysterious and unattainable. Well, I guess it would work if we had a proper working definition of what holiness actually is. Throughout the ages, unfortunately, some parts of the church have used holiness as a stick to beat people with, to make people religious, to make people like the Pharisees, like you've got to obey all of the rules all of the time. And so we try harder and harder to become more like God. That is not holiness. That's just religion. Others say that holiness is like receiving a vaccine. You get one shot of it, and then you're covered for the rest of your life, and you need to not worry anymore about what happens. That isn't really holiness either. If only it were as simple as that. I was talking to Abby earlier, who was um, vaccinating people yesterday. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you just go to a Christian vaccination center, get you one shot of holiness, and then you'd be fine for the forever? <laughs> that isn't really holiness either. Holiness, the Greek word is hagioi, and it actually means to be set apart. To be holy is to be set apart for God. So when God says, be holy as I am holy, he's saying, be set apart as I am set apart. Now, the one thing that I want you to take away from this passage this morning is for you to realize that you are a set apart person. You have been set apart for a specific reason and for a specific calling and purpose. All of us, it's going to look different for us. Some of us are set apart to make an impact in the business world. Some of us, we're set apart to make inroads in science. For some of us, it's for leadership in the church. For others, it's to educate our children or to bring healing through working as a doctor or whatever it might be. But did you know that you are a set apart person? chosen by God to stand out from everybody else. Tim Keller, who we often quote here, says this, holiness is an attitude of the heart in which you look at God and you say, use me. Did you know that God can use you to do the most extraordinary things? As people have dared to say that, God, would you use me? Would you let me know that I really am set apart? History has been totally and completely changed. Let's think about some of the Christians who've realized that they have been set apart. William Wilberforce realized that he'd been set apart to bring about the end of legalized slave trading. He realized that he'd been set apart and the result of that was huge. Michael Faraday was a passionate Christian whose faith drove him to explore science. He's one of the most renowned physicists that has ever lived. Without him, we wouldn't have discovered how to use electricity. At least we wouldn't have discovered it as quickly as we had. He, his faith, his set-apartness changed the world. William Tyndale lived at a time when it was illegal for the Bible to be read in English. You could only get hold of the scriptures in Latin. He realized that he'd been set apart and he had a vision that every person on the planet should be able to read God's word in their own language. 
as he realised he was set apart and said, God, use me. A revolution started by which every person in England could read the Bible in English. And his legacy still lives on as the Bible is translated into every language that is spoken on planet Earth. Do you know that you have been set apart so that you can make a radical difference where God has called you? So if holiness is not striving to do all the right things... It isn't just a vaccine to boost us against sin, a one shot in the arm and it's done. But it's being set apart. Do you see that our starting point for holiness becomes really important? So I guess the question for us this morning is, well, how on earth do we live out a holy life? It feels so difficult, doesn't it, sometimes to be a Christian today? We think so differently sometimes to other people. Our worldview is completely different. We behave differently to other people sometimes. So how on earth do we go about living a holy life? Well, where does Peter start? Well, this is a whole book that talks about how God's people are set apart. And Peter roots the whole thing in the gospel. Now, in the next few minutes, I'm going to focus mainly on verses 13 to 25. I do not have time to exegete the whole passage as much as I really, really want to. Um, So just look at verse 13 with me and look at the first word of that verse. It begins with the word, therefore. Now, when the Bible says, therefore, usually something extraordinary has just preceded it. And those, the verses before verse 13, it's thought that the, those words are the words of an ancient hymn or some ancient liturgy that was being passed from church to church. And it speaks about how we can live um, holy lives because of all of the things that's in that hymn. So Peter basically says, praise be to God. Jesus rose from the dead. He's worth more than gold. He's coming back. He gives you an inexpressible joy. Therefore, verse 13, therefore we can live holy lives because it's not about us. Praise God, it's not about me, but it's about all of the things that Jesus has done. We can live out a set apart life because of who Jesus is. In fact, just flip back to verse two with me. This is one of the most extraordinary verses in the Bible, I think. Verse two, we who have been chosen according to the knowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Isn't that a beautiful verse? The glory of the Trinity in that one verse. We've been chosen by God the Father, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and we can be obedient to Jesus because we've been sprinkled with his blood. In other words, we're holy not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. It's whose you are that sets you apart. Now, I belong to Ellie. Um, I'm the only person who can be set apart as Ellie's husband. Nobody else can be. It's my relationship with Ellie that sets me apart from the rest of you to her. Like no one else here can claim to be Ellie's husband. It's our relationship with God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit that sets us apart, that makes us different. Now, over the next 14 minutes, we're going to see that we're set apart for the following four things. Firstly, for a holy hope. Secondly, to be holy exiles. 
Thirdly, for holiness that will never fade or perish. And fourthly, for holy relationships. So firstly, for holy hope. Look again at verse 13 with me. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope on the, on the grace brought to you. Church, we are set apart to be a community of hope. And how much does the world need that right now? We live in a world where nothing seems certain. Everything's changing all of the time. We've had four chancellors of the Exchequer since July. We don't know what Vladimir Putin is going to do next. We don't know how much our heating bills are going to be as we go through this winter. There's so much uncertainty. And sometimes I think, gosh, if I didn't have Jesus, what on earth would there be to hope in? Nothing seems certain. Peter is writing to a church in which there's constant change and conflict and turmoil. And he says, as holy people, as set apart people, you have a sure and certain hope. Set your hope fully on that grace. Look at verse 18 quickly with me. The reason we can have hope is because we've been purchased by non you know, we've not been purchased by perishable things such as gold and silver. Those things are just going to fade away. But verse 19, we've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. That can never change. Verse 21, because Jesus is raised from the dead, we can be sure of our hope. Verses 24 and 25, a quote from the Old Testament, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, the, the words of truth, grace and hope, they endure forever. We can be a people of hope because in the end, we know that it's God who wins. Now, it's easy to look around at the world right now and see so much darkness and chaos and just think, when on earth is this darkness going to disappear? When is it going to end? When is it going to change? Well, church, listen, darkness cannot get rid of darkness. There's an extraordinary incident in the Gospels um, where um, Jesus encounters something of the demonic. And Jesus says to those around, he says, Satan can't cast out Satan. Darkness cannot expel darkness. You need light to dispel the darkness. And church, we have been given the light of hope. But we can only shine with the light of hope if we're on fire with love for Jesus. Simon Ponsonby says, says this in his book on holiness. The church cannot light a fire if she herself is not on fire. Church, we need the burning passion and love of the Holy Spirit to come and fill us again so that we can burn with a light for Jesus that speaks into the darkness and says to a world that there is hope. Amen. Holy Spirit, would you come and set us on fire again? Leonard Ravenhill, a fantastic Yorkshire preacher, said about church, church's marketing strategies, he said this, you do not have to advertise a church that's on fire. What would it look like for us to be so set on fire that people would look at us and just think, I want something of that. 
I want the hope that they carry. I want the power that they carry. I want the gospel that they speak of. God, would you come and set us on fire again? Lord, where we've been apathetic, would you forgive us? And Lord, would you cause our hearts to burn for you? Because we're a community of hope. Secondly, we've been set apart to be holy exiles. Look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your times here in reverent fear. Church, we've been called to live out our time here in Newcastle, this sounds odd, as foreigners in reverent fear. Now, what does Peter mean by this? Isn't it a strange thing to call God's people foreigners? Isn't it a strange thing for you and I to think of ourselves as foreigners? Well, maybe, maybe. But back up with me to verse 14, and this will all make sense. Peter calls us obedient children who are not to conform to the patterns of the world. And then in verses 15 and 16 comes a reminder that we're holy. And then in verse 17, Peter reminds us that we call God Father. Now, in Peter's time, this was very unusual language. How on earth could a human being call God Father or even claim to be a child of God? The gods were far off. They were remote. They were trying to satisfy. People were trying to satisfy the gods with sacrifices to keep them from being angry at them. And now you've got a group of people that are walking around saying that they're children of God and they get to call God Father. And it's partly this that makes us exiles. It's partly this that makes us different, that makes us foreigners. At the beginning of John's gospel, John writes, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And then there's that amazing description of what Jesus had come to do. And then John says this, and yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Church, we belong to God. And that's why we can ask to be set on fire with love for him. Because our citizenship is actually in heaven. So get this, church. You have been set apart for heaven. Did you know that, that you have been set apart for heaven? That's why as God's children, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Because we're exiles, foreigners, ambassadors, Paul sometimes calls us in the New Testament. And we get to bring, as God's children, the culture and kingdom of heaven to earth right now. In our workplaces, in our halls of residence, in our classrooms, in our GP surgeries, in our businesses, we get to pray that the culture and kingdom of heaven would come in those places. Now, one of the ways in which we live out our lives as holy exiles is by revering God the Father. Now, when, parts, when Peter says we worship God or you know, we look at God with reverent fear in verse 17, what he means by that is that we worship the Father. We are people, church, who worship God and God alone. And that makes us different. 
How many things does the average person worship, do you think? Loads. Football, television programs, their bank account, their relationships. There's so much that we could give our worth to. But God demands all of it. And that makes us stand out and different as well. Now, we were thinking about this a little bit last week and over the summer. We're called to live as exiles. And that means that we don't fully embrace culture and use the Bible to baptize it, which is what some parts of the church do. Scripture changes culture, not the other way around. This is, by the way, why dictators ban the Bible, because they know that it has the power to completely change a nation. So we're not to do that, but neither are we to live completely separate lives from those around us, because then we'll never see the change that we long to see. Jesus described us as God's people as the salt of the earth. Salt can only make a difference if it's scattered everywhere on that which it's to season. We're to be the same. So we're not syncretists, adopting culture and baptizing it with the Bible, because that is wrong. We're not separatists either. We don't live completely separate lives. Instead, we're exiles. We're a called out people, a set apart people. Set apart, holiness, to live holy lives as exiles. Thirdly, we're given a holiness that will not fade. In verses 18 to 21, Peter reminds us that we've been purchased through the most valuable thing, the blood of Jesus. We've not been purchased with gold or silver, as impressive as they are, but with the blood of Jesus. And he was chosen before the creation of the world and has been revealed. Get this, what it says in verse 20. Jesus was chosen for your sake. Jesus was chosen, set apart for you. Isn't that the most extraordinary thing? Jesus was set apart, chosen for you. Now, Jesus promises, church, that he has come for you. And once he's got hold of you, he will not, no, actually, it's stronger than that, he cannot let you go. You've been given a holiness that will not fade or perish. Now, everything wants to make a claim on us at the minute, doesn't it? Absolutely everything. But the only thing that has a permanent claim on your life is Jesus Christ. We've been given a holiness because of that that will not fade or perish. And fourthly, as I come into land now, we've been set apart for holy relationships. In verse 22, Peter begins to make clear all of the implications for a Christian community of being set apart. Now, if we recognize that we are a holy and set apart people, it should change the way that we behave, not only towards the world, we've been thinking about that, we've been called to live out our lives as exiles, but it should change the way that we relate and behave to one another. Look at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. We've been purified by the truth and this holiness... This set-apartness transforms everything about us, including the way that we relate to and love one another. 
Our love, Peter says, is to be sincere, deep, and from the heart. Now, Jesus said to his disciples just before he died that the world would know that we belong to him by the way that we love one another. The way that we love one another is one of the most missional, evangelistic things that we can do. My love for Nick or Josh or Gary should speak of Jesus' love for me, should speak of Jesus' love for the world. The way that we love one another really, really matters because we've been set apart to love one another well. Now, I know that this isn't always easy. We're a church full of human beings and we make mistakes. Relationships, no matter how good a friendship or a sibling relationship or a parent-child relationship is, all relationships contain an element of mess and brokenness and all of that kind of thing. But the call on our lives as disciples is to love as Jesus loved, deeply, from the heart. In one commentary I was reading on 1 Peter, Howard Snyder um, was quoted and he said this, The church today is suffering a fellowship crisis. In a world of big, impersonal institutions, the church often just looks like another big, impersonal institution. One seldom finds within the institutionalized church today that winsome intimacy among people where masks are dropped, honesty prevails, and that sense of communication and community beyond the human abounds where there is literally the fellowship of and in the Holy Spirit. Church, holiness is received rather than achieved. We're set apart not by what we do, but by what Jesus has done for us. The implications of that for our relationships are really clear and simple. Because our holiness is received rather than achieved, we can come to church or to small group or to your alpha group in the week and it is okay not to be okay. It doesn't affect your state of holiness because that's been given to you as a gift. And so it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to come to church and be a bit of a mess sometimes. It's okay to come and drop the mask and, you know, when somebody asks you over coffee, how are you? You don't have to respond with a Christian, I'm okay, thanks, how are you? Let's be people that are really honest with one another, where masks are dropped and where we love one another deeply. I've heard so many times on the news over the past week, what she did, referring to the Prime Minister, what she did is completely unforgivable. I've heard it from nearly ev- from people in every political party. Now, that, when that's repeated so much in the public psyche, people begin to think that there's stuff that they can't forgive of other people as well. We're called to be a people who are different to that, who forgive, who love one another, who journey with one another, who celebrate each other, who cry when other people are crying, who laugh when other people in the church are laughing. We're called to do relationships and community differently. So I wonder today, what have you been set apart for? 
There's four things that Peter refers, well, four things that I've drawn out from the, from the passage that Peter's talking about. But what have you been set apart for? People that are set apart make differences in history. Is there the next William Wilberforce sat right here today? Is there the next Michael Faraday where a passion for Jesus will drive you to science or make technological you know, and scientific discoveries that are going to change the course of history? Is this people here that have been set apart to see the campuses of Newcastle completely changed and transformed with the love of Jesus? Are there people here that have been set apart so that our children can be educated in good and godly and righteous ways? What have you been set apart for? What have you been set apart for? Well, four things at least. Holy hope that we, that you as an individual might burn with the hope and fire of Jesus. To live as a holy exile wherever it is that God has called you to. To be a difference maker in your workplace, on your street. To bring the culture and kingdom of heaven wherever you are. You've been set apart so that you might know that you're holy and that will never fade or perish. And you've been set apart to love deeply and do relationships well. Shall we stand together as the band come out and as we respond?